Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership coaching and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources. Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. Welcome to a new feature on our podcast called The Collective Corner. As a founder of the C-Suite Collective, I realize that we have so much gold on our platform that we want to share it with the world. So twice a month, we will be bringing you a conversation around leadership from the viewpoint of coaches. Today for The Collective Corner, we have Stephanie River and Sebastian Little. Steph is a professional certified coach who coaches high-performing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and teams looking to live and work courageously. Seb is also a professional certified coach who partners with high-performing leaders and teams to optimize culture, close performance gaps, and unlock leadership potential. We hope you enjoy the episode today, and remember, something powerful resides within you. We are here to support you in seeing it and creating it. Welcome, you two. I love you so much. Thank you for being here with me. You are part of the heart and soul of the C-Suite Collective. And I would love to know about what kind of leaders you are. Lena, I've had some more time to think about this question. So I'm going to answer one, which is teammate. I so identify with being a teammate. I've always been on a team sport. Being on a team is my is my instant access to like love and unconditional support. So that's that's it. I also think I'm at my best when I'm being a catalyst and disruptor. And I think hopefully we'll talk about this a little bit today, but I love like the mess, like the more complex or chaotic or um, complicated something is, the more I come alive. So there's something around being able to generate speed and like movement in a group or as a leader, and then just go right into disrupting stuff. Like if it's too settled, it's it's kind of boring. So I think as a leader, I'm looking at like, how do I move things forward? How do I do so with a team? And then how do we like get in the mess and actually get to the real work? Ah, the mess. <laughs> Steph, does that resonate with you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just that simple answer. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, I think we can all we speak need. to that. Yeah. All, the, all, right. all three of us. I think we're we're done all here, messy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What kind of leader are you? So for me, I'd say that I'm a vulnerability enthusiast and instigator, which plays into being messy because vulnerability is always messy. But I find some of my unique skill in group settings or building a group is looking beyond what makes sense for partnership, for support, and getting into the what's a little bit deeper, what seems like an uncommon pairing to have partners on a project or a creative endeavor. Like there's just something about seeing the heart of people without their armor 
that helps me build and sustain team. Mm, that's gorgeous. So taking down the armor and then being in the mess together from the two of you, because I know you, you both lead things in the world. Uh, we'll talk about 75 slow in a little bit. I'm really curious how, how your leadership styles are affecting um, rooms you're in right now. So if you've got anything to share directly that you're experiencing with a current client or a company around uh, your style of leadership in the mess. I think it's perfect for where we are in the world right now. And, and even when I look at my choice to, to jump into full-time coaching, full-time entrepreneurship, it was four months into COVID. So, so like you were we only four months into where, COVID when you jumped in full time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why not start, why not start a business full time, you know, in COVID even when no one really knows what it is. Like that sounds like a good idea, but, but quite literally I, I had this thought and I was, I got a reflection from a mentor and the, the metaphor that I use, and I think it's, it's just as related today. We've, we've since come into more and more of a, a chaotic and complicated and complex world where there's not a simple input output the way that we we used to like we're not dealing with assembly lines like we used to so we live in a world that's way more connected a plus b doesn't equal c anymore and and i think the way that i visualize it is if you took a snow globe and you shook up a snow, snow globe globe there's two types of way to be when all the snow starts to settle the first one is you can dig, dig down and anchor in and you can go get real safe and secure in your little bubble and wait out the storm honestly like with covid right now we don't know how long that storm's going to be or which is what I, the metaphor I actively chose when I was leaving and, and starting my own work was I'm going to go figure out the first one to two feet in front of me. And then I'm going to make my home there. And then I'm going to go two more feet and then two more feet. Uh, so it was, it was an active decision of if I'm going to go add value, I'm going to go do so in the mess and figure that out from that place versus waiting for it all to pass. And hopefully one day, um, I think it, it still applies now more than ever. Oh, that's so good. I'm thinking about all the places where I'm still waiting, <laughs> where I'm waiting for the mess to be gone versus um, stepping in into it right now. And we talk a lot about this with clients in terms of even a conversation about um, social justice and racial inequity in the world right now, amid COVID, amid everything that everybody's dealing with. And I'm curious for you both, where do you where do you see supporting that conversation through the lens of the mess and, and the beautiful analogy you just gave us, Seb. I think in, in all of these cases, mess has to do with, with paradox. And we can look at it, I look at it through four different lenses. First is identity, who am I? The second is vision, where am I going? Or direction, where am I going? Third is process, how do I get there? And the fourth is people, who am I doing it with? And they, all of those are at play when it comes to racial inequity. Like this DEI conversation that we're having in the world comes to who are we? Where are we actually trying to get to in this country and within our organizations and in our own lives? How in the hell do we get there? Because it's uncomfortable as hell, right? Um, it's way easier to be private with your process because the cost right now of messing up publicly is so high. My cancel culture, and I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm anti-cancel culture, but what it doesn't allow us to do is have conversation. It makes it very transactional. So we risk what or we're constantly at this thing where we're filtering what we're actually thinking, what we're actually saying, because we want to be PC. And then with the people that we're around, we only trust certain people to hear us in certain ways. So we're not having real conversation. So I think the DEI conversation hits on all four aspects of that mess right now. And it forces us in this paradox of 
short-term, long-term of who I am now, who I want to be, of understanding the complexities of the person on the other side of the table, whoever that is. Um, and it makes conversation, it makes specifically understanding and empathy very difficult, really messy for me. So anyway, Steph, I'm curious how, how that all lands with you. Well, I think mine is not as structured as four very clear things because I really look at the, the relationship piece. So I love yours. It was really about getting clear about yourself and the work that I do the most with clients and that I'm most interested in is the relationship between two people. And so we mentioned two really big things, right? COVID and racial inequity both of which like we kind of jumped off a cliff together as a collective just in the past few years in a bigger way. I mean, racial inequity has been around for a lot longer than that, but there's just been a huge leaping off point. And what I've been talking to a lot of people and specifically clients who are CEOs and really used to doing the thing that they're used to doing is We're already in a collective state of vulnerability. You can't avoid it anymore. There's no more option. Are we going to be vulnerable or are we going to stay guarded? That option got taken off the table because we don't know what's next. We don't know how, I mean, even I have a couple of manufacturing clients whose shipping containers just get stuck places because of the the type of industry that they're in. And so they never know. So it's a great time to stop pretending like we do know and having the messier conversations with how we, how we operate business sense. That's more of the COVID rent and how we relate to one another, which is more of the interpersonal racial equity lens. How do we have conversations in our companies? How do we, and that's where it has to come back to the individual because they have to trust themselves enough to let their guard down. And it's not safe in every space for people to let their guard down. So it's leadership's job to start to develop that space. And it's the individual's job to build the courage to say what needs to be said. And it's the relationship's job to hold both of them together. So beautifully said, both of you. And I I guess what I'm thinking about when I'm listening to you both speak is what do we say to the people that um, are, (laughs) for lack of a better way of saying this, you know, 10 steps back in the conversation? Because you both just provided some gold, right, around process and and approaches in terms of a systematic structure and then the relationship piece of it. And I'm wondering, you know, oftentimes as coaches, we don't get to give advice, And we don't get to say, you know, the things that we think from our hearts. So if you were able to give people advice about where to start, who maybe doesn't even believe right now that vulnerability is that we're in a state of vulnerability, like to those people, where would you start a conversation with them? Or what would you say to them? I mean, as coaches, I I think we all go to questions first and I mean, in a hypothetical, it's kind of hard to have this conversation anyway, but I would always get curious with what they're avoiding about vulnerability in their own life because that's impacting their work. If they say relationships don't matter in leadership, I'm like, how's your marriage? If they're saying things like, I just have them look on a more interpersonal and personal level rather than 
a political platform level because that just goes over people's heads so often that it's like, how about that one employee? Can you feel into that employee's heart? Can you feel into their experience? And I think that's based on the fact that I do a lot of relationship and culture coaching in that way with like messy relationship dynamics that I will lean on. Can you feel this one person rather than can you see this as an issue for the whole wide world? Because many overwhelmed, burnt out CEOs that I work with don't have the capacity to look at the whole world right now, but they can look at that one employee that's struggling and feel into the compassion and empathy. And then I'm there to help them shift their heart around it. As a coach, it is not my job to change minds, but as a human, I know it's my purpose to help transform hearts. It's a little poetic, right? I'm like, we should I was, just. I was gonna say, I don't think that. I can. I don't know if I, if if I'm gonna get on the soapbox a little bit. Um, last year, I got to do some work with a a law firm. Uh, the program is called Inclusive Excellence. And it was all about how my belief, fundamental belief, is that inclusion happens before diversity does. So when we create spaces that are are able for people to belong, we create these pockets of places for people to step into equity. And all of a sudden, we have people that we're actually attracting diverse talent and we're attaining diverse talent. I think retention is actually harder than just attraction. Relationship over time is harder than just the sparks that you have in the beginning of a romantic flame, right? So the the model that we played with is is to to change the outside experience of the the, the company of the industry. We had to be be critical about where we were first. So I think of it being like concentric circles. The first thing I got to work on is me. Then I can go to team. Then I can go to organization. Then I can go to industry. Then I can go to society. Most of us won't always touch all of those levels, but I think at the core of it has to be with our ourselves first. And I remember a conversation I had with my therapist post George Floyd. And she said, I identify as biracial, half white, half black. And she asked me a question. She said, she said what does it actually mean to be black? What does it actually mean for you to be white? Because what I was doing was I was projecting what I wanted to want or what I thought was the, the answer that people wanted to hear or that I wanted to hear. Um, and when I got clear about what that actually meant for me, both the stereotypes of both parts of me, and also like the incredible unique storylines of each gave me access to have a real conversation versus the performative one that took, that took a partner. Like I actually need to go, I, I needed to work with a professional in doing that. Um, but I do think I would, I would go back to Steph's, Steph's point on questions. Like if we can ask ourselves and be honest about our answers, we've got a chance. We've got a shot. Otherwise we're playing from fantasy land. <laughs> That's so good. And I see that. Yeah. And I'm really hearing that, um, that even starting with that partner might be a place to start, you know, extra support, because I know I can't see my blind spots. I don't know what I, what I, what I'm considering is honest or true. You know, I can check in with myself from an authentic place in my body and my intuition, but also it could be a limiting belief, right? So, it, so really getting support from outside help, with like everything you said, mentors, trusted friends, advisors, coaches, therapists, all the realm of support. What's been the most impactful moment this last year in your work as leaders in the world? 
and uh, through the lens of your strengths that you bring to the work. Elena yeah, just gets on have... and just flings. I just fling flings the questions. Like, <laughs> possibility longitude roll. <laughs> and then just well, for me. It's not I'm pissed off right now. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're being honest. This is Elena's like 30 foot vision always, right? She's just like <laughs> always looking the there. And then I come in, I'm like, it's the small moments, Elena. <laughs> yeah, Let me tell you about one tiny little moment. And I'm like, or what about the vision? <laughs> I was excited when I when I joined this call, and now I'm just nervous. So, oh, no. <laughs> it's like, what's you gonna ask next? No, I'm kidding. Um, I actually Seb, like, can I share yeah, something that happened just between us just yeah. yesterday? Yeah. Because for me, it's the small moments. Like you just asked me to look at the past year, and I'm like, what day is it? What month is it? What year is it? I'm not sure. I still live in a kind of a strange cloud. But for me, it's the small moments where I trust myself to get messy to share what's real for me. So Seb and I, you know, we're building 75 slow. There's been some bumps in the roads. We're pivoting. We're changing. It's hilarious because it feels like we have to move really fast to produce this content about being slow. It's hilarious. But I, I emailed Seb some ideas and then he emailed me back and he used a coachy phrase that just like shot through my heart. And then I wasn't going to say anything. I was just going to be like, you know, I'll just let it go. It's just we're both used to that language. We learn the same language. And then I was like, I am way too dysregulated not to say anything to my partner. So I, I didn't do it perfectly. I literally was typing this email back on my phone because I was sitting in bed drinking tea to soothe myself. And I was like, hey, the shortcut phrase that we're both used to landed like this for me. And then we had a moment to clean it up because it was really about saying yes and saying no is what Seb and I were talking about and trusting ourselves with our yeses and our noes, trusting our partners with our yeses and our noes instead of leaning on a language that we've shared. I think yes and no are super powerful and a lot of cultures like a lot of team cultures create phrases and things we say instead of saying yes and instead of saying no. And I noticed that happen even just in our partnership. So it's small moments like that where I could be like, I can share when I'm dysregulated and when I want something to go differently, even if it's just about a simple little language. Well, and Seb, how did that land for you as her partner? Like, what was the takeaway yeah, for you? I was just going to share. Oh, cool. First, I was, I was grateful. Like, it's one of those things where you get feedback. You don't necessarily want to hear of the impact that you had, right? Um, for some, for a lot of people, it's the positive. They don't want to hear even the positive stuff. For me, it was like, hey, I, I, I affected Steph, and that was not my intention. Um, and first, I was grateful. Like one, it meant she trusted the relationship enough to actually trust me to 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 hold her and have her in that. Um, it also, I was grateful because it gave me the chance for us to then like have have a breakdown or have a have a friction point and then work past it. And my guess is that we're actually going to be stronger for it in the future. Like the clarity of our communication is only going to go up from here. For me personally, my blind spot is I default to 
coachy language, consultant language. <laughs> uh, I know some military language. Like I can default to all those things. And depending on who I'm with, I can easily code switch into the language that might, my, I think might be a shared or rapport. And it's also, it's a great thing for me to continue to work on of what is my authentic voice? What would I actually say if I wasn't trying to skirt around the bush of saying it the right way? Um, and then speak from that place. So that is something that I, I've continued to work on. It's actually happened a lot in my romantic because I'll just use this circular language of coachy language. And the person doesn't always get it. They're like, dude, what did you just say to me? And I'm like, oh, hold on. Let me run that back. Let me put it into English. And then we'll try again. So it's it's really good. <laughs> I that can I'm, imagine. That's yeah. Good. I built a PowerPoint to talk through <laughs> an idea at one point. Anyway. That's so good. No, um, it's so good. I'm imagining you being your partner in, in the relationship I'm, conversation. I'm both, I'm both proud and, and ashamed. Yeah, I yeah. get it. I, I think um, I feel the same. I would be I would be the yeah. same. <laughs> proud and ashamed. Um, I'd be the partner getting those PowerPoints. So. Yeah, I mean, Steph gets them, but, you know. It wasn't to explain our, the the length of our relationship. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's how it landed for me, and I, I like like I just said, I was grateful for it. Well, thank you both so much for sharing that example. It's you know, it's real time, it's honest, authentic. I it's really impressive to hear what you both are getting from each side of it. And the other thing that I heard, just pulling out the learnings, uh, you you both did that so beautifully already, is um, boundaries. You're practicing boundaries with each other. And that those boundaries are by by being clear what they are, they're you're able to honor them as well moving forward. So super cool. What a mess, a messy middle <laughs> conversation. I think it also speaks to trends that catch on and then don't change with the times. So I don't know if either of you are present to this, but the improv world started to impact the co- uh, the like business world with the yes and. Rather than saying no up front or saying, but they were training people in yes and, and it is so beautiful, but the piece that was missing in that is culturally, we're also told it's not okay to say no, especially women or people who present as feminine. We're, we're often culturalized not to have our nose. So the yes and movement is amazing and... It's missing the part about training people to say no when we're not really taught to do that well. Mm, Beautiful. Beautifully said. Hey, so uh, you both have mentioned 75 slow a couple times, and I want to make sure everybody listening knows what that is. So will you give us a brief overview around um, why you created it, what it is, and how people can find it? 75 slow is a set of practices that we encourage people to do to slow down and to access the being of slow. Slow can be a tempo thing, a pace thing. It has to be. It's, it's slow, but it's also a state of being that allows us more presence and clarity moment by moment. So it's a set of six practices that we've set up for people to follow for 75 days. And it is not easy it's not. It's fairly I simple, but it's five. really not easy. <laughs> so I will be restarting yeah. it. <laughs> yes. I mean, Seb and I both, we're the leaders of it, and we just recommitted to doing all six for the last 25 days because it's really easy to be like, oh, I got I got what it means. Like, Because you can get, even if you just did one of the practices every day for a week, you would notice a difference. But the 
the edge we're leaning into a 75 slow is that if you take on these six practices for 75 days, we know that you will have the transformation is a strong word, but I'm about to use it. The transformation necessary to access the being of slow, even when your life is moving fast. Mm. And why is that important? I'm going to let seven yeah. answer that part. Seven's going to jump in. Come on. <laughs> yeah. This, um, we are conditioned to and designed uh, on an Amazon like two day delivery pace. And innovation, by many people's definitions, is faster, better, stronger, more. And the world right now is talking about well-being. We've been forced to slow down in the last two years, right? So we're talking more about well-being. Mental health is at the forefront right now, which is wonderful, especially in athletics and a lot of where I, where I play. Like people are talking mental health, which is wonderful. And and, and Steph and I were talking earlier this week, 75 slow is in a lot of ways, it's a mental toughness program that's counterintuitive to the normal way of us thinking about pushing more, harder, better, faster, stronger. And it's actually about us slowing down enough to allow, to be present with, and then transform with choice. Um, and I think, I think why it's so important right now is because we have this overworked muscle of running faster. And if we don't figure out the way, like acceleration only works because deceleration is a thing. Speed is only, fast is only a thing because slow is. And if we're only always going fast, we have no other choices, no other options. So we're conditioned to, and our automatic governs us into burnout. Like we end up down the road because that's the only, only speed that we know. So if we're not conditioning the slow, even if we move fast, we're, we're likely headed into a brick wall. Mm beautifully said people move fast to avoid the mess i could have shot seb an email right back after and been like whatever and not felt what was actually happening in my nervous system in my body in my emotional body slow forces the mess to the surface which is something that we kind of knew but we didn't really get until we started doing noticing kind of the fall off of 75 slow because we maybe didn't anticipate how much feeling would arise when we asked people to slow down, how much grief came up, how much pain, how much loneliness comes up when you slow down just enough to feel it. Because the number one practice, which is my favorite and I'm partial and I get to be partial, is sit. It's just sit with a cup of something. For me, it's tea or cacao no other distractions, no other stimulation. Sit and sip that beverage until that beverage is gone. Slow it down. Enjoy it. Savor it. And even to this day, I do that and just like all the thoughts, all the inner critic, all the I'm lonely, I'm sad, or sometimes it's I'm grateful and I'm at peace. And then I feel guilty about being at peace. And like, you have to do your inner battles and your inner demons when you have no other distraction, when you're asking yourself to slow down. Woo. So it conditions <laughs> you for your own, like being with your own mess and then being willing to share that too. And it conditions you. That's, a, that's the thing that I keep uh, hearing from both of you. What a beautiful practice. 
and we will we'll put that information for where to find all of this online for people to to come and find you. But I really hear it speaking to and for myself, you know, as somebody um, who has a full practice and is running, you know, another business as well. What I see it as is a great way to when when I see burnout coming like down the road, it's like, whoa, stop everything for a second and recalibrate through some of this stuff. So as a is a way to gently look at overwhelm and burnout, which is a big deal right now going on in the world. So thank you both for creating it. You're rock stars. And um, I highly, highly recommend anybody who's needing support to jump into the community. It's free. And these two will have your back the whole way. Um, all right, let's have some fun. So what are you most excited about for the future or hopeful for the world coming up? I'll answer. Personally, I am moving to the woods for a month this summer. I'm going to kind of drop off a little bit. I'll be semi-connected. I still run my own business, so there's some things I need to put in place. But I am going to go live in the woods with teenagers for a month. (laughs) Steph. All right. Hold on. Learning. For some people, this sounds terrifying. <laughs> so, like myself. Oh, it is so, terrifying. That gave me the highs. Just but... listening to it. So, sounds slightly incorrect. So I know. Yeah. Seven. and I are like, oh, okay. <laughs> so the reason behind it is actually because I've been feeling this deep call back to nature, back to the cycles of nature, back to living and working seasonally as an antidote to burnout. And as I go into nature, one thing, I know nothing. I did not even grow up camping unless we were at an RV park. Like I don't, I can start a fire with a lighter now because I've been trying for a couple of years, but I'm going to live on the land and apprentice with an outdoor school so I can learn wild skills, but also to witness the youth learning wild skills. And the reason I share this is, one, it's the thing I'm most frightened by and most excited by in this coming year is going to force a type of slowdown. And I think that this is a pivot that I'm excited about in the world is people replenishing, transforming their relationship to the land that we live on and how that influences so much, even of the racial inequity conversations is really getting reconnected with what was there before society was, I guess. That's a weird way to say it, but that real primal connection to nature. I think that it would really serve people in so many places in their life. And it's kind of the direction I'm going. And so I got to, I, you know, both of you sort of know me when I'm into something, I dive all the way in. So moving out to the middle of the woods for a month is my way of doing that. Yeah. Leaning into those strengths. I love it. Thank you for sharing your vision for it and the vision for the world that you're taking it on for. What about you, Seb? So I'm currently on a uh, roughly five to six month nomadic travel trip. Um, currently in San Diego. I came from Chicago before that I was in Connecticut and somebody asked me as I was on the drive, my 30-hour drive here, why I was doing it. And my answer, which I hadn't rehearsed, was because it feels most aligned with all the conversations I have with my clients. And I'm always talking to my clients about, well, actually, no, you can have everything you want. And I, I say that, I mean it for them, and I'm really present to their possibility. 
and this was like me being present to mind. I could go work from anywhere I want and I choose to be in 65 degree sunny weather versus negative 10 and snowy. That was my choice, right? So I think I'm I'm really excited about that. I'm going to combo this because I'm doing a lot of work on it. And I've been doing a lot of work in somatics. I'm working with a somatic coaching group right now. Uh, it's been beautiful work. I've never done that work. And as an athlete, so to kind of our point earlier, I was really trained in being able to numb and shut off. Very good. Like if I'm uncomfortable, uh, my body knows what to do. I played college football. I literally know how to run through and around pain. That was kind of what I was tasked with for, for a number of years. And one of the first things I learned about the way that I related to my body was that I viewed myself almost as a weapon, right? Bigger, faster, stronger was always the, the call. And for 15, 15 almost plus years, that was the, uh, that was my tool of production. Mm. That was in, in a lot of ways, my tool of value. Um, so what I'm really excited about too, from an elementary level is reconnecting to and learning the language of my body in a new way. Really excited about that. Wow. Oh my gosh, you both are so inspiring. I have to think about my my next commitment to the world based on, on what you all have brought today. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that and the work that you're doing in the world uh, to bring that to your clients. One of the reasons that I brought you two here together, and I'm calling this the collective corner, is I really want to give people um, a view and inside look of us of who we are, not only as the C-Suite Collective, but uh, coaches in the world, in our industry, and also just us as humans and kind of how we relate to each other. So what's the experience like of being together with lots of different coaches and having so much support? I'm going to use a sports metaphor. It's like having the ability to pass to Steph Curry, Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Phelps is out there. It's like having the ability <laughs> yes. to, he's playing today too. Mm -hmm. um, it's like having the ability to just dish mm -hmm. to this incredible team that is there to serve and support in a very similar mission that you are. And when I joined the collective, uh, from a, from like an entrepreneurship lens, I was looking, okay, cool. This might be an opportunity for me to, to get more work, to kind of foster my own business relationships. I actually thought about it way more aggressively and offensively. And I said, what can I go do with this group? Mm -hmm. Like with the potential we have here, both coaches and also the practitioners, the holistic practitioners, I get so much more. I'm able to be way more dynamic and serve at a higher level because I have this all-star team, this hall of fame team. That's, that's got my back. That's what it feels like. And uh, like the backing is incredible. It's a lot of fun. It's such a great metaphor. <laughs> I mean, Steph, do you have anything to add? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> well, I only actually knew like maybe three of the people Seb just listed because I'm not a sports person. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that actually. That's, I'm That's the a player, win. Playing with high odds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got three of them. I was proud about that. And I think that also kind of speaks to what Seb is saying. Like we all have different strengths and different um styles. Mm -hmm. And what I love is this wasn't a, uh, now we're all going to operate like Elena mm -mm. because there's no way in the world I can operate like Elena. Jesus <laughs> Christ. No, <laughs> I love Elena. She's one of my best friends. And what, what we bring to one another is what makes our relationship, the work we lead together, but also the collective possible. So, you know, I get to say things like, 
Elena, you don't have to look at what's next. You're already doing yep. it. And then you laugh and you're like, you're right. Thanks for calling me out, Steph. Because this isn't a let's turn into the robots producing more work in the world. Mm-mm. No. It's it's really deeply centered in our hearts and our gifts because where else are you going to find a group of 20 coaches and holistic practitioners who are not in competition with one another? The structure of the C-suite collective to some people looks crazy because it's like, here, interview three coaches and you just get to pick one and they're not going to fight over you and they're not going to like get mad at each other. They're like, oh my God, you picked Seb. That's so perfect for you. Go. I can't wait to hear how it goes. (laughs) So true. It's so true. Which is unique. And that had to come from your heart, Elena. It couldn't come from a perfected business plan or anything. Mm. Well, thanks. Thanks for the acknowledgement. And thank you, you both. You are incredible leaders and coaches and humans in the world. And that's really the vision um, is that we are all different and we all have our our MVP strengths, uh, Seb, that we can bring together for the all-star team. So thank you. Um, I mean, the last question that I really want to ask is if you had a megaphone and you could say one phrase to the future, uh, what would you be screaming from the rooftops? Your humanity matters. Feel what there is to feel. Say what there is to say. Flex, we're better when you relate to all of your incredible gifts and strengths as the floor that you walk on versus the ceiling that you're aspiring to. And when we can recognize our superpowers in ourselves and our other, in other people, we elevate everybody together. Flex, go flex. Yes, both of you. Oh my gosh, you're incredible. Thank you both for being here today and sharing your insights, your wisdom, your knowledge, uh, your hearts. It's really incredible to be with you both.